If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians. We are continuing in uh, the book of Ephesians. We started there a couple weeks ago, and today we are in chapter 2. Of course, we know that Paul wrote this letter and sent it to the area there where uh, Ephesus was, and it circulated to many of the churches, and so we've been looking at that. Uh, I want to encourage you, I, I say this, I'm going to say it every week, you're going to get tired of me uh, saying it, but uh, I want to encourage you to take time each week to sit down and read all the way through at least once. It's a letter. Uh, we read letters all in one sitting most of the time, don't we? When we get a letter, we, re- we sit down, we want to read the whole thing, and so uh, I, I, you know, it's not a book, it's a letter. You know, so read it like letters are meant to be read. Uh, for me, it takes somewhere around 22 minutes. And so, you know, some of you might read faster, could do it in 18 or 20. Uh, some of you might say, well, I, want, I don't want to read it fast. I want to read it nice and slow. So it might take 25, 30 minutes. But I encourage you to take some time and do that. It's, it's a good thing to read it in one sitting, all in one context, so you get the full, full letter. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, last week, we were at the end of chapter 1, and we've, we've already read those verses this morning. Uh, Pastor Tom read those verses, and so we read Paul praying for us. And so we talked about the fact that Paul prayed, uh, was praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they would know him better. He prayed that their hearts would be enlightened to know the hope of uh, his glorious inheritance, Jesus' glorious inheritance, eternal life, and all that we are in Jesus, our identities in Jesus. He prayed that our hearts would be enlightened concerning uh, the power that we receive through Jesus, in Jesus, and that power that rose, uh, that, uh, rose Jesus from the dead, brought him back to life. And then we also, that all of those prayers, all of that fits under the reality of Jesus being our authority, and Jesus has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so he has given us, the, uh, he has provided that authority. And so when, sometimes, a lot of times, we worry about how do we live our lives? What do we have to do? How do we, you know, what are we supposed to do here? What are we supposed to do there? And the reality is, is Jesus, if we submit to him, has given us all that we need to know. He's given us all uh, everything we need to know uh, in, for life and for godliness. And so when we submit to his authority, we don't have to try to figure those things out because he gives that to us. And he gives that through his Holy Spirit. He gives us that through his word. And uh, so we have all of that. And so that was last week. Uh, this week we're in chapter 2. And so we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. So if you would... Stand so we can read God's word in honor of God's word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 for us. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Father, we thank you again for this letter that Paul wrote to the churches. And we thank you that you have preserved this letter for us to be able to look at and to learn about you today. Father, there is, there is, there is so much here. There is so much here. And I pray that you will open our ears to hear, you'll open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us. And Lord, even as we as a, as a congregation, as, as your sons and daughters have gathered, and as we are going to be looking at specific points today, Holy Spirit, I ask that you may um, reveal if there's something even different to someone today, exactly what your message might be for them through these, through these words. Lord, I believe your word, as you, as you tell us, that your word is alive and active and so, Father, we ask through your Holy Spirit that it would continue to be alive and active today in our lives for the benefit of your kingdom. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was laying in the highway. All I smelled was smoke and antifreeze. I had had probably six or seven drinks. I went to a few mores. I was tired from working all day. My face was hurting. I didn't know what happened. Somebody saying the paramedics were coming. I felt like I was okay to drive. A woman crying out, nodding down once. I was in a sleepy state, called into an ambulance, in and out of consciousness, rolled down the window, get some fresh air blowing in on me. I didn't know what was happening. Felt like I was in a dream. I was 21, more intoxicated. I heard another voice crossing the center line of the highway, a glimpse of my family, Whoa. chaos, confusion, what's going on? She said, these officers need to take blood from you. and the hurt that came upon my shoulders just was overwhelming. I've never felt anything like it in my life and I knew that I'd really done it. I'd really let myself become so far out of control that even I couldn't fix it now. I remember as they, as they released me from the hospital and took me into custody, getting down on my knees and crying out to God, and I said, God, please help me. Please help me. What have I done? 
and I was I was feeling so bad about the situation and so bad about what had happened and and being responsible for what I was responsible for that I just didn't even really want to live. I didn't want to live no more. I didn't I didn't want to keep keep going forward. But when I cried out to God, he he came to me in my time of need. I think some people God reaches through subtlety and I think he's able to touch the lives of people in different ways. In my instance it was it was a iron fist and and uh, hard love. He knew that I had to reach my bottom before I'd open my eyes. I was so hard headed I just didn't want to accept him. And, and when I cried out to him, it was a plea of, of just come help me. And, and Lord, if you'll help me through this, I'll, you know, I'll surrender. And, and when I surrendered my life to him, it just changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. You know, through all that happened, I lost my business, I lost my family, I lost a, a wife that I was newly wed to. I lost everything that this life had, had given me and, and I had earned in this life and on my own on my own will, but Jesus had also given me freedom from sin and free and freedom from um, the life that I was living through His forgiveness and His love and His grace. And if it hadn't been for His mercy and grace in my life, I'd either be dead right now or in prison somewhere, rotting away. Alcohol is not even a part of my life anymore. Um, doesn't play any role in my life whatsoever. In fact, I was encountered with this situation shortly after my accident and accepting Christ. I knew that that Christ was real to me. I knew that He was real. When when, when I was confronted with the single most thing that I was weak to in my life, and He gave me power over that, not in a strength that I had ever known, but strength that was new to me and I just knew it was it was God I knew it was God I knew he was real and I knew he had the power over sin and, he, and it was evident in my life my name is James Caldemeyer and I am sick amen we should be. We hear a story like that. The story of a transformed life in Jesus should get us pretty excited, right? Right? Amen. There's a changed life because of Jesus. James. James is a FLW fishing pro uh, today, and he spends his time down in Texas, and uh, he takes people on tours and fishes, and he gets opportunities to to talk about Jesus as he takes people out fishing. Uh, but that wasn't always his life. 
he started in a very dark place. A couple things that when I listen to that, when I watch that video, uh, that stand out to me. Um, one, he, he talks about some people are reached through subtleties. That God will just kind of subtly put things in their lives that draw them to him. But sometimes it takes hard love. And he says it took hard love, an iron fist, I got. And God, God does it that way. A- anyone here feel like they needed hard love or an iron fist to wake up to the realities of Jesus? Um, that, that's what James is talking about. He says, I needed hard love. I needed that iron fist. Uh, but the other part that I appreciate he talks about is he recognized in Jesus came that through Je- the love of Jesus. He said through the grace of Jesus. And he said through the mercy of Jesus. Those things is where he found God and God's kindness that came to him to come to know Jesus. And, and so when we look at all of those things, we see those things here in Ephesians chapter 2. We see all of this here. And so when I watch this video, and I hope that you would think maybe the same thing, I ask my question is, how is your life different? How is my life different now with Jesus than before without him? How is our life different from before than it is now with him? And then how do we honor Jesus for transforming our lives? How does that look? How do we do that? I I appreciate what James had to say. It's obvious that there's a transformed life there and that he is now with Jesus. And he talks about the freedom from sin and the power to stay to alcohol is no longer part of his life. That's an exciting thing to hear that. It no longer has that power over him. He is, he is free of that. And he talks about that. I love Ephesians chapter 2. Because when I read Ephesians chapter 2, these first 10 verses, to me, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know who Jesus is, it's right here in these 10 verses. If you want to share Jesus with someone and you're saying, how do I share Jesus with someone? It's right here in these 10 verses. Say, here, read this and then let's talk about it. It talks about a transformed light. So there's four things that I want to talk about and point out today specifically. And again, these four things may not be things you get out of this, but this is what I think we have for us today. And that's why I encourage you to read it, because there might be some other things that the Holy Spirit would show to you. The first one is this. We were once in darkness. We were once in darkness. Verses 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. All of us. What does scripture tells us? Romans 3.23 tells us what? Someone? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where were we? This, this is kind of sobering, isn't it? All of us were in darkness. All of us. I I think sometimes as believers, especially if we accepted Jesus as a young child and now that we're older, you know, and we've been with Jesus for a long time or we've lived a good life and the majority of our life we've walked with Jesus, I think that we forget sometimes that we were once in darkness. 
We were once in darkness. And how do I know this? Well, I know this just because I see how Christians often respond to people who are still in darkness. Why do they act like that? Why do they talk that way? Why do they do those things? You ever thought that? Please don't let me be the only hand up. Because I think that way. What are they doing? Why? Because they're in darkness like we used to be. We were once in darkness. I think it's healthy for us, just like Paul points out here, it's good to be reminded that we were once in darkness. We were once lost. We once did not know who Jesus was. Or we did and we chose not to accept him. And we chose to be among the disobedient. Now, for some of us, that's hard because we did accept Jesus when we were little. Who, who accepted Jesus under the age of, let's say, 12? Who was younger than 12? So that's hard because most of us under the age of 12 was not involved in alcohol. Right? I mean, that, m- most. There may have been some, unfortunately. Most of us weren't out carousing and speeding and driving inappropriately at the age of 12. Most of us. There might be a few out there. And so we think, well, what was I saved from? I was just a kid. I accepted Jesus. I never really did anything wrong. I didn't kill anyone. I didn't run with those that did any of those things. But the reality is we were still in darkness. We still did not do Jesus. Our sin still controlled us, and we were lost, and we were going to be separated from God. And so I think it's important for us to look back and remember that. And then to remember that the world, that there is a world out there that is also still in darkness. Another way that I see that a lot of Christians don't remember this or kind of lose sight of this sometimes is the way that Christians sometimes uh, uh, talk about movies. Uh, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to say it again. I find it humorous when I hear this. Someone watches a movie and they want to tell me about this movie and then they say it would have been really good but they had this was in it and I wish they wouldn't have this in it. Why did they have to have this in it? And I'm like, well, probably because it wasn't made by a Christian. It was made by the world and so they don't know any better. We forget it was made by someone that's in darkness. Jesus talked about this in Luke when he was on the cross and they were gambling for his garments. I think we have that verse. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. When we were in darkness, we didn't know what we were doing, did we? We didn't know we were lost until someone told us we were lost. It's good for us to take time and remember what it was like to be lost and be once in darkness. When I was a youth pastor, uh, we had opportunity to take, I went many trips to the uh, Alliance Youth Conference called Life. Anyone been to Life? Anyone not know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Life was a big conference every three years. Uh, One of the things, one of the activities that was there when I took my students was a thing called the maze. Guess what it was? Yeah, it was a maze. It was a maze. And uh, I think some of you, I mean, they've got some down at different beaches and stuff where you go walking through, try to find your way through this maze. You pay money to someone to, uh, to, to confuse you, and uh, you get rewarded if you get all the way through. This particular maze, they would set up, and they used, can- they used uh, metal frames and canvas walls, and they've set up this, this maze here in one of the auditoriums, and they covered it completely over top, and it was covered completely with tarps. And so the way 
it was meant to be was when you started out, you were at the very beginning, and they had, there was absolutely no light in this maze whatsoever. It was completely pitch dark. And they would give you, I don't know, three minutes or five minutes to try to your, find your way through this maze in pitch darkness. You, you guys get the picture? Close your eyes. It's darker than that, okay, because we still have light on, right? Pitch dark. And so they would send them off. Now, they were smart. Guys, you know, 10 guys at a time or 10 girls. They never let mixed company go. But anyway, so into the darkness, you know. Okay, so they'd send these groups of 10 at a time, and they'd have three to five minutes to get through. And guess how many of them got through? No one. They wouldn't make it through. There would be people eventually, by the time the week was done, that would get through because they would go and try to memorize it. You know, but that was the only way, by doing it over and over and over, memorize. So they'd have three to five minutes, and most of the time, no one would get through. Why? It was dark. They couldn't see their way. They couldn't figure it out. When that time was up, though, the lights would come on. And they would walk through the maze. And really, the funny part was, is it really wasn't even much of a maze. Once the lights came on, they'd walk through like they were walking down a couple hallways and making a one two turn or two turns, and no big deal. It was so much easier to navigate and get out the other side once the lights came on. And that's, that's who we were without Jesus. We were in the dark. Now, the cool part is once it was done, they'd take that 10, group of 10, they'd bring them out, they'd go over, they'd sit down, and they'd talk to them about the analogy that the maze was and living in darkness compared to living a life in the light. We were in darkness. We were lost. We could not navigate this life. We could not get our way through the maze of life in darkness. But the good news is, that God's love, his mercy, and his grace gave us Jesus. Amen? God's love, mercy, and grace gave us Jesus. Uh, uh, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 8. We saw love. We saw mercy in verse 4. In verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. It's not anything that we've done it's 100% because of God's love, because of his grace, and because of his mercy that we have Jesus. We are no longer in darkness. We are now in the light. See, here's the reality. Uh, God is holy. God is perfect. We are not. And our sin separates us from God. God, God doesn't send people to hell because of his wrath or judgment. Uh, we, because of our unholiness, because of our darkness, because we don't have the light, because we aren't holy like he is holy, we deserve the wrath that he gives. He doesn't cause it. Instead, God's love, God's mercy, his grace found a way, gave a way for us to know him. So we can't blame God for hardship. We can't blame God for the difficulties in our life. We can't blame God if we never come under that submission of Jesus and that washing and that cleansing by Jesus and become into relationship with him. He's given that freely 
And he's done it out of his love. He's done it out of his grace. He's done it out of his mercy. We would only spend an eternity without him because we did not choose him. Not because of anything he did. If it were up to him, everyone would come to know to a saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what he desires. And that's why he shows his love to us. And that's why he shows his his grace to us and shows his mercy. We see in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. Because of that love, he made a way for us to be able to be with him through Jesus. It's nothing we can do. It's only because of his love. To me, it's encouraging that it's nothing that I can do. It's encouraging to me. That it's nothing that I can do. I never have to measure up. I never have to be good enough. It's not, it's not about that. I'm encouraged by that. I'm excited by that. It's all because God loves me. And we say that and we hear that. And I think that we, we say we believe that. But do we live like we believe that? I accepted Jesus when I was eight years old. That's, that's when I did it. I've shared that before. Uh, yet when I was at camp, the summer before my seventh grade year, I had just turned 12. Counselor came to me, you know, which every good counselor at camp should do. Sit down at one point during the week and talk to their kid and find out where they're at spiritually. Um, what, my camp counselor did that for me. And he asked me if you were, yeah, he, he did a good question. If you were to die today and go to heaven and stand before God, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And I said, I was 12 years old. I accepted Jesus when I was eight, but I said to him that time, I said, well, I've been good. I've never killed anyone. I try to honor my parents. I, fo- I try to follow the rules as best I can. Those were the answers I gave. And his response to me was, well, did you know that none of that really matters? What matters is, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? And I said, oh yeah, I did that when I was eight. He goes, that's all you have to say. And as a 12-year-old, that was like, oh, that, that's all I have to say? That's all I have to say. I, I, I feel like a lot of times our American churches have made it so much more than just that. Because we put it on ourselves to have to do it, or we put it on others to have to live up to what a Christian is supposed to be. And who we are supposed to be in Jesus. But the reality is God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace gave us Jesus. And it's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we do. Third thing I want us to see is this. We are alive in Christ. Woo! We are alive in Christ. Are you guys alive? Who's out there? Who's alive out there? Verse 4. Verse 4 again, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, we were dead, we were in darkness, he made us alive. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. We are alive in Christ. I looked up the definition of alive. I have five definitions for you. You ready? Having life... This is alive, okay? Having life, living, existing, not dead or lifeless. That's the first definition. Does that describe your life in Jesus? I'm going to keep going. 
Uh, second one, living. Second definition of alive is living. Is your life living? Third one, in a state of action, in force or operation, active to keep hope alive. Is your life in Jesus active? Fourth one, full of energy and spirit, lively. Does that, ex- does that describe your walk with Jesus? I'm looking around the room right now. I'm looking for lively. I was looking around the room during our worship this morning. There were a few of you that were lively. I like the next one, the fifth one. Having the quality of life vivid or vibrant. Man, I want a vibrant life in Jesus. When people meet you, when people come to know you, when people understand that you're a follower of Jesus, would they describe your life in Jesus as vibrant? Anyone here, do you think? I want to be known as someone that has a vibrant life in Jesus. Not, I, I, I'm thankful to be alive, but I want to be vibrant. I'm a new creation. We are, if we know Jesus, we're a new creation. We were once spiritually dead, and now we are alive. We are born again. Everything before that was dead, was dead. And now we have new life. We are alive. We should get excited about that. That's who we are in Jesus. Does vibrant describe your walk with Jesus? I want it to describe mine. And what I love about this, too, there in verse verse 7, that all of this is expressed in his kindness to us. God's kindness. You know, I was thinking earlier, you know, I almost, I feel, I wanted to say I feel privileged to know Jesus, but, you know, that word privilege to me uh, can have some negative connotations in our, in our culture today. So instead of, I don't, I, I, am, I am a recipient of God's kindness that I know Jesus. And we have opportunities to tell other people who Jesus is and to share his kindness with them. God is not wanting to uh, deliver his wrath on us. God is wanting to show his kindness and show us love and show us grace and show us mercy. The last thing that we see here is in verse 10. And it says, we are created to do good works. For we are God's handiwork. Another another, uh, translation says God's craftsmanship. He created us in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created us. Um, another way of saying this is that he created us. He gave us salvation uh, to bring us, uh, not, to, not, not so that we would, okay, I'm going to start again. Being or doing good things doesn't bring us salvation. And that's what we heard a lot of the times. You know, you do these things, you do these things. I, I, I had a grandma who did not want to come to Jesus for so long because she still enjoyed playing bingo and going to the bowling alley. And good Christians don't play bingo and go to the bowling alley. She'd been told that. But she liked those things. They were good people. She enjoyed the company of those people. Thankfully, she understood later in life, you know, that when she wasn't doing those things anymore because she couldn't because of her health, I don't, I don't do those things. She came to know Jesus. She understood those things. Salvation, being or doing good doesn't bring us to salvation, but rather our salvation should bring us to being and doing good. And not really doing, but as a, 
as an act of our being in Jesus, those good works just come. Here's another way to say this. What I believe we are created to produce fruit. We are created to produce fruit. There should be fruit evident in our lives. We are created to build the kingdom. God left that task for us. We are created to build the kingdom. We are created with a purpose. Why do I say that? Because God knew each and every one of us when he created us. And he didn't just create us just to, he created us for a reason, for a purpose. Psalm 139, verse 1. And then verses 13 and 14 says, For you, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He knows, David's talking, but I believe he knows, he knows each and every one of us. Why does he know each and every one? For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb for all of us. David goes on and says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We were created. God created each and every one of us. And then it says here, he created us for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. God's craftsmanship. That means each one of us specifically he created for a specific purpose. And now I know I, I've talked about the first part of this book is about being, and then the second part is about now doing. And so I don't want us to get caught up in the doing of good works right here, but I want us to, to think about the reality that as we are in Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, as we be in Jesus, this is the natural progression that we begin to do these things because we are in him. We are automatically, just automatically compelled. And really, I would say, in our being, we do. It's because of our being that we do these things. We don't even have to think about these things. We shouldn't have to plan these things. We shouldn't have to put them on the calendar. On this day, at this time, I'm going to go serve somebody. It should just come out of our being and who we are. We should get people coming to us and say, why are you doing this? And it's just because, because of God's kindness to me. Because he shows me love and he shows me mercy and he shows me grace and he wants to show you the same thing. This is all about a transformed life. Our lives have been transformed. We should be excited and enthusiastic about that. So much so that we should want to let other people join in on God's kindness. We should be excited about that. I'm thankful for it every day. Because here's the reality, you know, as I said, I was eight years old. Uh, I was 12 when I realized it's all about Jesus and nothing about what I do. Uh, I was 17 when I finally said, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I will do. And so I think back and I say, I know what's in here. And just like James said, he, who he was before Jesus, I, I, I never had to experience that. But I know, had I been left up to just me and know Jesus, I know where I'd be today. Probably one of the same places that James said he would be. Where did James say he would be without Jesus? Jail, Jail or dead. I believe that about myself. I don't, think, I don't think the options would be any different than those two. I would be in one of those two places. Because I know what this is capable of. And so I'm so thankful for God's kindness to me. 
that allows me to be alive, vibrant in Jesus. I'm gonna ask the music team to come and we're gonna close in a song. And it's not a slow song. It's a vibrant song. And I want us to stand and as we sing this, I want to see our alive in Christ. Father, we thank you so much that we are alive in you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive today and that we get to live vibrant lives for you because of your kindness. Thank you, Jesus.